live in strange times, and I, I hope that uh, everything that's going on, coronavirus, politics, daylight savings time, I hope it's not putting you over the edge. Um, but if you feel like you are over the edge, um, you're, in the, you're in the right place this morning. Amen? You know, my mom grew up in World War II Britain, and she remembers the mantra, keep calm and carry on. And we say to you, keep praying and carry on. Amen? Um, as you can see, Rob's not here. You've got the, I joke, you've got the B team today. <laughs> you know, I remember back to when I was a kid, and uh, I grew up in Africa, but for seventh and eighth grade, we were back in America, and I was playing basketball for the first time and uh, on the seventh and eighth grade team, and I just remember I didn't play a whole lot because I didn't know how to play that well, but I do remember that when I did play, it was usually because we were already doing very well. So uh, <laughs> um, anyway, we must be doing very well. Um, and speaking of doing well, uh, I, was, I was in my house last night, and Rob was texting me these pictures of him talking with, with the president, and I was just amazed. You know, here is our pastor uh, speaking to, as Micah said, one of the most influ influential women, uh, men in the world. And, uh, and I was like, this isn't a coincidence. It's not an accident. There, God's, God's doing something. And uh, so we're blessed. And I would just encourage you to pray for, for Pastor Rob as he's moving in these, in these circles of, of very influential people. God has put him in that position for a reason. Um, another thing that you might not know is it's International Women's Day today. And uh, the reason I know that was because in Uganda, it was a big day because they don't celebrate typical Mother's Day, they celebrate Women's Day. Um, but I was thinking, got me thinking about my wife. She's, she's not with me right now. She's in Guatemala at a pastor's wives uh, conference that she's helping with. And I was kind of bummed. And I was trying to think of, what are the benefits to not having your wife with you? And believe me, there aren't very many. There are not very many. And the only good thing I could think of for my wife not being with me is, is that I get to drive her car, which is much nicer than my car. <laughs> it actually, the windows actually roll up and the air conditioning and heat actually work. Um, but she does have a, a nicer car than me, and that goes back to when we were in Uganda. We had a, a Land Rover 1997 Defender. It was a beast. I loved it. You could go almost anywhere in the world with it, and you wouldn't uh, have a problem. But my wife didn't like it so much because it was a beast, and you usually ended up dirtier having traveled in it than when you got in because it seemed to funnel dust into itself. And if it was raining, it seemed to channel the water right on top of your head. Um, so we had many conversations about our car. And uh, I always used to say, well, honey, it's, it's a battleship, not a cruise ship. And, uh, and she said, well, all I can say is the next Land Rover we buy, I'm choosing it. So she did that. That's why she has a nice car today, is because she chose it. <laughs> Rob does long intros, so I felt like I needed to do that long intro. <laughs> um, today we're going to look at a passage that the Lord has really been speaking to me on, and um, 
in many ways in different verses. It actually, this past week we were in our men's group and um, we were going through this passage and so it was like the Lord was just confirming. So turn in your Bible to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And because it is a fairly long passage, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up while I read it, but I would ask that you follow along in your Bibles. And yeah, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and the good people will give you one. Second Chronicles 20, I'll begin reading in verse one. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Let me just read that again. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new, before the new court and said, O Lord God of our Father, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, verse 8. And they dwell in it, and you have built your sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you. Let me just read that one again. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, in the midst of the assembly, and he said, listen, verse 15, listen, all of you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Again, do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle, 
But position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Verse 18, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise to the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, as they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. The worship team went out before the army. Now when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Um, And then jumping down to verse 24. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they overlooked towards the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on earth. No one escaped. Lord, thank you for this very encouraging, illustrative uh, teaching story from your word. And Lord, it's there for a purpose. Because... Lord, there is so much in it we can learn about faith and about fear and about overcoming challenges and obstacles and enemies that uh, come in, in our way in the course of life. But Lord, today, as we talk about this whole issue of faith and what it means to walk in faith, to step out in faith, Lord, open our minds and hearts to this very basic truth. Lord, faith is at the very foundation of our, of our walk with you. It's not something we can ignore. It's, it's at the very foundation, at the core. We need to understand this. And so, Lord, if we are, I pray for those who are here today who have walked in, and maybe they find themselves like a Jehoshaphat who is in fear, who's paralyzed by fear. Lord, I pray that they will be encouraged by what you have to say through this passage and what you've laid on my heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, um, this message is certainly something I'm not just speaking to you. It's been something that the Lord has been um, really laying on my heart over the past uh, several months. And in the course of our Bible study with a men's small group, um, this passage came up in in our study this past week. I remember back to the uh, April, back to April of 2016, and it was a Sunday morning, and I was in Entebbe, Uganda, and we were on the shore of Lake Victoria. Our church had, our church property was bordering the lake, Um, and we we were, on that day in April, we were celebrating the handover of the church that we had planted to my successor, the young man named Pastor Isaac, who we raised up to take over the church. It was the handover day. And I remember the overwhelming feeling that I had standing on the piece of ground, which at one time had been a garbage dump. 
It had been an ugly dumping ground uh, on the outskirts of town. Not only that, it had been a killing field in the time of Idi Amin. And now, years later, developed, it was redeemed. It was a place that looked like an oasis, and it was bringing life, hope, into this community. And I remember the promises that God gave us as we set out to begin that ministry. I remember the verse. I remember even the night that God gave the verse, Isaiah 58. If you extend your soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul, your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness will be as noonday, and the Lord will guide you and strengthen you. And, light, and you will be like a watered garden. And then verse 12, and those from among you will build the waste places. We were standing on a, a desolate waste place. And I remember the Lord just using that verse to speak to me, speak to us about beginning that ministry there. And so here we were on that day, this handover and, and witnessing all that God had done to bring this to pass. And I remember in absolute gratitude saying, God, you have been faithful. You've been faithful. You've been faithful to keep your word. But I remember at the same time feeling a great sense of anxiety. Here I was at the tail end of our term of 14 years in Africa, grown to love all these people as family, watched children grow up, get married, now serving in the church. And I remember wondering, what's going to happen to the church? What's this young man going to do with the ministry that I've poured the best years of my life into. What's next for me? What's next for us? At that time, I was 48 years old, having spent 32 of those years in Africa, going back to America here, that in so many ways had drastically changed and in so many ways I felt like had passed us by. And I remember asking, what, what am I going to do? What do I have to offer? And then forcing myself back into that place of faith and thinking, you know what? We came here to Uganda, responding to God's prompting, and we saw God work. And now we go back to America, to a home that we really don't know as a home yet, responding to God's prompting, and we will continue to trust that he will work. And this brings me to the question I have for us this morning. How? How do we see and continue to see the faithfulness of God in our life? How do we experience and live in the faithfulness of God? How? And the answer is when we ourselves live and are, taking, and are stepping out in faith. Simply, God honors and responds to faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he, comes, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And our life as a Christian is, or it should be, an upward climb of successive steps of faith. Proverbs 15, verse 24. The way of life winds upward 
for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. You know, in my reading um, in the course of this year, starting again in Matthew, as I usually do at the beginning of the year, um, I was reading through Matthew 13. And every time I pass through this passage, Matthew 13, verses 52 through 58, I'm encouraged and exhorted. The story is of Jesus preaching in Capernaum. And it says in verse uh, 53, it says, It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed. And when he had come to his own country, Capernaum, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get his wisdom? In these mighty works, is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Verse 56, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? So they were offended at him. And it goes on to say, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And then verse 58, which to me is a very sobering verse. It says, now he did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. He did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Think about this. There were many things that Jesus might have done. There were many things that Jesus would have done, could have done, would have loved to do, but for the lack of faith in the people of Capernaum. They missed out on a tremendous work of God simply not because of Christ's unwillingness, but simply because they lacked belief. My message this morning is titled, Continuing in Audacious Faith. Continuing in Audacious Faith. I love that word, audacious. It's not a word I use very often. Um, But it has a great meaning. It means showing willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. Showing willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. In the context of faith, these are bold risks for God. Not stupidity, not naivety, not decisions made on a whim, but bold risks in response to God's spoken command and promises. Bold risks in, respond, in response to God's spoken command and promises. Let me, take you to, let me take you to a passage that illustrates this in Joshua chapter 3. Now, the context of Joshua 3 is the nation of Israel on the banks of the Jordan River, and they're about ready to cross over. Finally, after leaving Egypt, receiving the law, coming to the Jordan, and because of their lack of faith, wandering in the wilderness for the next 40 years, here they are again, back to the shore or the the bank of the Jordan River. And Joshua 3.13 gives us a little picture of what was going on. An important aspect of the story. Joshua 3.13, And it shall come to pass, as soon 
as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand up as a heap. As soon as the soles of the feet that bear the ark rest in the water, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. Now put yourself in the shoes of these Levites. You know, there was maybe four or eight Levites that were carrying the ark. The ark wasn't a light thing. And here they were, the eyes of two million people watching them as they hoist up this ark on their shoulder and they start carrying it down the bank towards the river. And the river was not going to divide until they went in. You know, God didn't make it easy for them. He didn't say, I'm going to divide the water. And once you see that it's divided and dry, you'll pass through. No, he, he mandated that it had to be the Levites going in first. They had to take that step first. This is what God had promised. God honors faith, bold, courageous, obstinate faith. And for the Levites to do it, it took faith. Think of what was going on in the minds of the, of the people who were watching. You can imagine what was going on in the, in the minds of the Levites. As they're holding this ark, they're probably wondering, what's going to happen? What's gonna, is this going to happen or not? <laughs> Are we going to drown? And you can imagine the same thing was going through the people. These guys are crazy. They're going to they're drown. That, that ark is valuable. It's going to fall in the water. They're going to sink. But what happened? The priest stepped in and the waters gave way. And the priest stood firm on dry ground. And here's what I want us to understand. The promise, the blessing, the salvation, the ability to cross over into the promised land came only after they had taken that step of faith. The promise, the blessing, and the ability to cross over came after they had taken that step of faith. And this is contrary to the way we want things to happen. We want to see the result, and we want to see the way before we take our first step. But that's not, how, that's not the way of faith. We must not overlook the fact that faith on our part helps God carry out his plans. And when you listen to that, you might think, ah, oh, that doesn't sound quite right. But let me repeat it to you. We must not overlook the fact that faith on our part helps God carry out his plan. There's a man named Thomas Champness, a godly man from the classical era. And he writes this. He says, the ark had staves or poles for shoulders, for the shoulders. Even the ark did not move itself. It was carried. When God is the architect, men are the masons and laborers. Faith 
assists God. It can stop the mouth of lions and quench the violence of fire. It yet honors God and God honors it. And then listen to this. Oh, for this faith that will go on, leaving God to fulfill his promises as he see fit. Oh, fellow Levites, let us shoulder the load and do not let us look as if we are carrying God's coffin. Oh, fellow Levites, that's us. Let us shoulder the load. What is the load? The load is the presence of God, the word of God, the promises of God, the work of God. That's the load. He says, let us shoulder the load and do not let us look as if we're carrying God's coffin. When we look to the scriptures, we see many examples of audacious faith. And I know that you know them, but it's good to be reminded. Think of Noah. Genesis 6, 13 and 14. God told Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. I'm going to destroy the earth. Make an ark. An ark. And for the next hundred years or so, Noah diligently set, apart, set about to build this enormous structure. A hundred years of persevering on a word from the Lord. Put that in the context of our own life. How often do we struggle in persevering for a week, let alone a hundred years, in being obedient to doing what God has told us to do? Audacious faith. Abraham, Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your fathers, to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, the, the, the command to leave, but notice he didn't tell him where to go. He said, go out, and then I'll show you. Isn't that the way that God works? We want the roadmap ahead of time. That's the way our, our minds are wired. But God wants obedience first and trust, and trust in him that he will lead us. David, 1 Samuel 4, 17, the story of uh, David and Goliath, an amazing story of audacious faith, a young boy rushing to attack a giant of a man with every implement and weapon at his disposal, and all he had was, uh, was a stone and a sling and God in his heart. Jonathan, I love 1 Samuel fourteen six. It's one of my favorite verses. The context of that passage is Jonathan and his armor bearer out by themselves. They're at, Israel's at war with, with the Philistines. And they come across this uh, cohort or, or um, garrison of um, Philistines. We don't know how many, maybe 40 to 100. But look at the attitude of Jonathan's heart. He says, come, let us go over to this garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Another translation puts it, come, let us go over and see what the Lord will do on our behalf. In other words, Jonathan didn't have a guarantee of what was going to happen. But he knew he served the almighty God. And he knew God was good. And he knew that God would be with him. And so he stepped out in faith. You know, Paul in Acts chapter 9 is the story of Paul meeting Jesus. 
And his life had been hell-bent on destroying Christians, and he made a 180-degree turn, and for the rest of his life, he spent his life preaching Jesus. Faith. We know Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And you know, sometimes we think that the hall of faith is meant to shame us, like lifting up all these examples of great men and women of faith to make us feel like, oh, we're nothing, we we should try harder. But that's not why Hebrews 11 is in the Bible. It's meant to encourage us. Hebrews 12 says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. You guys, we have a cloud of witnesses given to us in Scripture to encourage us. And not only here, but we have in our time contemporary examples of faith that encourage us. And those are meant to help us in our day-to-day walk of faith. A reading from a devotional I like goes on the same theme. It says, one of the special marks of the Holy Spirit in the apostolic church was the spirit of boldness. And one of the most essential qualities of the faith that is is to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God is holy audacity, as as opposed to stupidity or carelessness or foolishness or ignorance, holy audacity is the Holy Spirit inspired and faith in the almighty God-driven willingness to take bold risks for God. Let me read that again. As opposed to stupidity or carelessness or foolishness or ignorance, holy audacity is the Holy Spirit inspired and faith in the almighty God-driven willingness to take bold risks for God. I'm going to share a story, an illustration from my own life. And before I even share it, I just want you to let you know that it's not intended to, to be prideful or to make you think, oh, they have such great faith. Because I know myself and I know that's not the case. But there have been instances in my life where I've seen um, God work. And so without trying to be prideful, I think of my wife and I's uh, time as missionaries, and I think by now, having spent 14 years in Uganda, we could put ourselves in the category of being seasoned missionaries. The church that we left is turning 15. We were there 14 years. I've lived in Africa 32 years. And thinking back on my life and thinking back on ourselves as young missionaries going out um, in 2004 to change the world, or to change Africa, or at least to to change Uganda, I think we must have raised a few eyebrows and shaken a few heads of those who are older and wiser with our simple and naive faith. And you know what? If I was looking at us, I would have probably said the same thing. Left a job, sold our home, pretty much gave everything away that we possessed, and I packed up my three kids, my three young boys who were all less than 10 years old at the time, and my wife to a place none of us had ever, I mean, I had been. They had never been. For some reason, I didn't think 
of taking my wife and kids on a vision tour <laughs> to see if they would like it. It just didn't cross my mind. But, and so they literally went to Africa not knowing what they were getting themselves into. And I, I remember telling my wife, honey, it's just a little like Mexico. And I remember getting there and we got on, we got off the plane in Entebbe and we're driving into Kampala and she's looking around and she has big eyes and she says, honey, this is not like Mexico. <laughs> but you know what? She never left. She stayed there all those years. And I think that she had more faith than I did. And I think, and I remember going out and we were didn't even go out with the guarantee of support. There were many people who said they were going to give, but we didn't know if they were going to give or not. But we didn't worry about that. There was just a strong conviction in our heart that this is what the Lord wanted us to do. And then I think of the place where we ministered. You know, we went out, and literally the day we got there, the missionary that we went to help came to us and said, we're leaving, we've had enough and honestly, I don't ever remember thinking, God, what did you do to us? I remember thinking, okay, you used this family to get us here. What is it that you want us to do? And so we went through a period of time of uh, uh, working in the Bible school, and the Lord eventually put it on our heart to, to plant a church. And eventually, after several years, uh, led us to buy this, this piece of land which I referred to, which was a garbage dump. And it was a lot of money. And it was ugly. And it was in an a, a ugly part of town. It wasn't the least bit what I envisioned about a Calvary Chapel kind of like this. You know, it was just the opposite. <laughs> and I remember finally coming to the place where I said, okay, God, we'll do it. And then he asked me, well, are you willing to do it with your own resources? It's one thing to spend other people's money to do God's work. It's another thing altogether when you spend your own money to do God's work. And, you know, from a world's perspective, it would be stupid, honestly, to spend that amount of money on an ugly piece of land in the middle of Africa. That, that's stupidity. But in the realm of the spirit, in the realm of the word, in the realm of faith in God, it becomes something else, what you might term holy audacity. But I must confess in the intervening years of becoming seasoned, I too have shaken my head a few times at what I've perceived to be the naive antics of young missionaries or ministers who have come after us and they themselves are stepping out in faith and thinking, ah, oh, these, these greenhorns, what are they thinking? That's not how it's done. We'll see how long that lasts. I've often caught myself in that same attitude. And so I check myself. While experience, wisdom, being seasoned are all esteemed characteristics, they must not be quenchers nor take the place of audacious faith, which God continues to look for in us. God has chosen to accomplish his will through those who step out in faith. He responds to our faith. And he is prevented from doing things he might have done. Things he would have done. Things he would like to have done. Because of our lack of faith. Remember the people of Capernaum. They missed out seeing what Jesus 
might have done. They missed seeing the mighty works that he would have done because of their lack of faith. And this has led me to question many times myself. How much more could God have done? Would God have done? Except for my own timidity, my fear, my lack of faith in him. And this all brings me back to the practical aspect of what I'm sharing this morning. What's the ultimate testimony of our life? Will it be a testimony of God's faithfulness, taking that which was begun in faith and continuing to complete it as we continue in faith? You know, I can tell you quite honestly that as much faith as it took for us to go to Africa, it took more, as much if not more, to hand over the ministry and come back. You know, when you've lived in a place for 32 years, your identity and your work becomes very wrapped up. And so for us, for me especially, not so much for my wife, but for me, coming back was, was a step of faith. I really had questions. Lord, what, what am I going to do? Are you on the journey of faith this morning? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the answer is yes. Salvation is the first step of faith on that journey. And don't get me wrong, that's a big step of faith. To humble yourself, to come to that place where you realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, that's a, that's a big step of faith. But that's only the first step. We're called, as Jesus said, to follow. We're called to daily pick up our cross and follow after him. And so, having taken that first step, what arena of your life is God calling you to step out in faith today? What arena of your life is God calling you to step out in faith today? You know, I think about marriage. And certainly I can say that the devil and the world and our flesh have done a great job of decimating the institution which God created right after he created Adam and Eve. Something so important to the heart of God was the marriage relationship because everything else, so much else, flows from a marriage, children, family, community, church, society, nations, come from a strong family. And maybe you're here today, and that's an arena of your life that you've lost faith. You've lost faith that your husband or your, your wife or your spouse, you think that maybe they're, on, they're beyond the ability of God to work in, and, and you've lost faith to believe that God could do that. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you look at the scriptures about marriage and you say, well, that must be for someone else. It's certainly not for me. And you've lost hope that God can work in that relationship in your life. Think about your family. I know that so many families, so many parents are heartbroken over decisions that their children have made. And you think of the verses that you train up a child in the, in a, in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you think, well, that might be good for for Pastor Rob's family or for Pastor Craig or someone else's family, but 
I guess I must have made too many mistakes in my life or too many bad decisions. That's not a verse for me. And you've lost faith. You've lost faith that God, that God can work in your children's life. Well, I want to encourage you. Those promises that are in Scripture regarding marriage, regarding family, regarding children, they're there for all of us. And maybe that's an arena of your life that God wants you to step out in faith. Hearkening back to Jehoshaphat, he was faced with the Ammonites and the Moabites. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. But he set himself to fear the Lord. Maybe it's in the arena of finances. You know, I have to say, there was something very sweet about those 14 years that we lived in Africa where we literally didn't know how much money or if we'd get money that month. And kind of like Elijah, you just live on what God provides. And you're always just blown away. You come to the end of the month and you're like, wow, God, you're so good. Talk about faith building. Talk about just that sweet receiving from the Lord what he provides. And you, gotta, you guys, I got to say that living here is a lot harder. We spend so much time planning our financial future. We have safety nets. We have health plans. We have 401ks and, and retirement plans and annuities. All of this we have set up to provide for ourselves and protect our future. And I'm not saying they're, they're bad. But I have to say, those are things that may inhibit our faith. They may inhibit our faith. And knowing that, what decisions are we making in the financial realm to challenge our faith? What financial decisions are we making so that we are living by faith? You know, we, we spend a lot of time, and I know there's a lot of financial planners in this room, we spend a lot of time Preparing ourselves for retirement. Investing in things which will help us in those later years of our life. But that's a temporal, that's a, a limited and finite amount of time. Are we investing in the kingdom of God? Maybe it's in the arena of community and work that the Lord is asking you to step out in faith. You know, there are so many people that I will never meet, that Pastor Rob will never meet, that you live next to or you work next to. And you may be the only representation of Jesus that they ever know. I would have never thought I would have said that in America, but it's amazing how many people I run into and they literally don't know anything about church and they know very little about Jesus Christ. And God has placed you in a workplace and you in a community to be that illustration of Jesus to people that might never hear the gospel. And maybe that's an area that God wants you to step out in faith. Maybe it's ministry. You know, the church doesn't function unless everyone in the church understands their own giftings and operates in those giftings. That's when the church is healthy. And maybe you haven't understood that. But, and maybe that's some area of, of faith that God wants you to step out and begin doing. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for in it 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We take that first step of faith, which is salvation. But that God wants us to continue to walking and to take steps in faith, from faith unto faith. Will ours be a testimony of faith unto faith, glory unto glory? We need never to forget the simple, naive, audacious faith which God used to get us started in the first place. And may we continue in that childlike faith as we press on into the next days and years. And I want you to remember 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat's audacious faith. Jehoshaphat, it says he feared. What's holding you back from stepping out in faith? What's holding you back from stepping out in faith? What is your Ammon or your Moabite? Maybe you walked in here this morning and something hit you out of left field and it left you mobilized. It left you in fear. It left you trembling. And like Jehoshaphat, you're sitting there in fear, paralyzed, not knowing what to do. That's where Jehoshaphat was. It says, after receiving the news of all this great army that was coming against him, the Ammonites, the Moabites, those of Mount Seir, it says Jehoshaphat feared and he set himself to seek the Lord and he said, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What did Jehoshaphat do? It said he set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. He put his eyes on the Lord. A very practical action. We don't know that he actually felt like doing that, but he knew he needed to, to do that. And when you read that prayer, a beautiful prayer that I'm sure expresses the very attitude and emotions of our heart when we're in a similar situation. Not only did he seek the Lord, he listened to the word of the Lord. It said after he prayed, the word of the Lord came through the prophets. And the prophets gave him encouragement. They told him, don't be afraid. They gave him an exhortation. Go, position yourself. And then he, it says he worshiped the Lord. And in an audacious step of faith, he, stepped, he obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Imagine going out to war with your worship team leading you. That's, that's essentially the picture that we have there. They're going out and the worship team is leading them. It speaks a lot about the importance of worship in a service. And then he witnessed the power of the Lord to overcome his adversary. I pray that passage encourages you. Because you might find yourself here this morning. And you're in that crippled place of being paralyzed by fear. Fear to step out in faith to do what you know God wants you to do. In closing... In a storm, it is often much better to be launched out into the deep rather than clinging to the shore and being battered by the waves against the rocks. Rather than clinging to the shore, let us launch out into the deep and find that all things are possible with God and all things are possible for him that believeth. Let us enter each new day each new year, each new chapter of our lives with a greater zeal to attempt great things for God. <laughs>